0: Good morning Church. We're actually gonna try to attack this whole chapter. Um, Praise God. Amen. So we need a lot of prayer. Uh, Because even what he just read was rich enough for me to spend a few weeks in that alone. So let us pray Church. Father, May you be glorified, may you be magnified, and may your people receive your word this morning with clarity and with boldness. May you prepare their hearts and their minds that your seed might not fall on rocky ground, Lord, but that the soil will be ready to receive that your seed might flourish in all of us this morning, oh Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I could remember, church, early in my walk as a young Christian, reading one of the most influential books for me as a believer. My pastor had the, the whole church read this book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And though I wasn't a big reader at the time, I was so hungry for God that I I just ate that book up, church. I believe that might have been one of the first books that I read from the, the beginning to the end. And that book for me, church, has played a major role in how I think about my life as a believer. At the time, I couldn't remember or understand much of it, but there was one specific thing, church, that impacted me about that book, and it was his comparison about costly grace versus cheap grace. He explained that though we received Grace as a gift to us, it was not given, church, without a cost. And I think just hearing him explain how Jesus paid this great debt that I owed by subjecting himself to to my brokenness and suffering to the point of death so that we might be freed of this insurmountable death, for some reason, for me as a young believer, church, that stuck with me. It shaped how I thought about my life, and I wanted to do everything I could with my life to repay what my Lord had given me. I realized that I was indebted to Him, and for me that meant waking up every day, dying to myself, and living for Him daily. My life was no longer my own. And this is what Paul tells us, church, in Romans 8, verses 12 through 15. He says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8 helps us to understand that this this debt that, that we are now indebted to with Christ is not a burden like that of the flesh, church. But we have received a debt of freedom, Freedom to follow Christ through denying our flesh and putting our old ways to death that we might truly be sons and daughters of him. We are indebted to live an eternal life of discipleship, one where God uses the Holy Spirit, the Word, and the church to help us follow him as he sanctifies us. Removing all sin from us so that we might dwell with him, church, in his presence forever. This means, church, that for us as disciples, we need his spirit shaping our hearts and our minds. We need his word to instruct us. And we need his church that we might live together sanctifying each other putting his self-sacrificing way of humility on display that his glory might be seen by the whole world. All of these means of grace, church, are, are needed to truly carry out his command to follow him. All of them point us to, teach us, and center us around Christ and his glory. And all are the means by which he carries out his purpose in us. And this church, this is what Paul has been trying to help us and the Philippian church to see. Throughout this letter, and as he brings it to a close, he reminds us of this once again. He reminds us that this call to discipleship is not a call to individualism, church, but a call to live out life together as kingdom citizens, displaying Christ's great kingdom on earth. And Paul ends this great letter, church, much in the same way that he opened it by exhorting us to carry out this kingdom way through this community that we have been adopted into as sons and daughters of God. Bonhoeffer, in another one of his books called Life Together, gives us a picture of what this new life looks like as a community. He says, our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done for both of us, This is true not merely at the beginning as though in the course of time something else were added to our community. It remains so for all the future and to all eternity. I have community with others and I shall continue to have it only through Jesus Christ. The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede the more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ, we do have one another holy and for all eternity. Church, this is why you hear us, mainly Clint, always say, had it not been for an empty tomb, we would not be joined together because for many of us, church, had it not been for an empty tomb, we would have nothing else in common. But because there is an empty tomb, church, we have everything in common as our lives and purpose is centered around him and his glory. And this church is what Paul has been pointing us to throughout this letter. And now as he brings it to a close, he leaves us with a few lasting exhortations. Exhortations, church, that he has been fleshing out throughout this letter. And he uses these exhortations to address a specific issue within the Philippian church as he speaks to the the bigger purpose of living out this way that we have been called to. Not only so that there will be peace within our community church, but so that through living out this way, we might be those who persevere until the end. And so Paul moves to closing this letter, and he begins with the most general and central exhortation, which is to stand firm in the Lord. Paul opens up in verse 1 by saying, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Much in the same way that he opened this letter, Paul closes it by displaying a great pastoral heart to this church. He reminds the church of his great love for them, he reminds them, church, how much he misses them and longs to be with them. And he reminds them, church, of how much they mean to him. He says they are his joy and his crown, language that Paul uses throughout his letters to the church to remind them that he sees the church as his fruit of labor. He sees them, church, as his assurance and he hopes as God works in and through him that that there will be fruit produced in them this is why church he calls them his joy because it brings him great joy to watch God mature them and bring about fruit from them and this is why he says he lives as Christ because he sees himself church as a servant for Christ, one who is living indebted to him for his glory, and he calls them his crown church because he sees the church and his service to them as his validation. This is what he says in First Thessalonians 2 verses 19 through 20. He says, "'For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming?' Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul expects church to stand before the Lord and give an account for his life as a servant. And he believes that when he gets to glory because of this church with whom he loves, he will stand proud as as their fruitfulness will be reason for the Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He looks forward, church, to that great day with joy because of the fruit that he has seen in their lives, fruit that draws out Paul's great affection for them as his service to the church draws him and them closer to Christ as they work together, church, to carry out this gospel mission, advancing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Therefore, he encourages them, church, to stand firm in the faith, to continue in a a manner of serving Christ with their lives, remembering his humility and all that he has done for them, not just so that Paul could be proud about them and boast about them in the end, But because he knows this is what is required to endure and persevere until the end. And though he is speaking to the Philippian church, we should hear Paul speaking to all of us this morning. We need to be reminded, church, that regardless of what is going on in the world, we as the church must be grounded and firm in the faith. And I like how the the CSB says it, church, because it reminds us that standing firm in the faith is not some abstract term, church, but standing firm in the faith means to live in a particular way. It says, so then my dearly beloved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord. This means, church, that everything, that we do and say should be centered on bringing Christ's glory as we make his ways and his likeness our goal, our, our aim, church, by forgetting our old ways and straining with everything in us to live out this new way, a way, church, of, of pressing towards him that we might gain him, becoming what he has declared us to be in him, Paul says, stand firm in this way. Persevere, church, in this pursuit of him so that your always won't creep in, always that cause us to think more about ourselves than others. A self-centeredness church that leads to disputing and arguing, making us enemies of the cross as we look to serve a satisfaction that comes from self-glorification. And apparently, y'all ain't with me this morning. But I'm going to continue. Those whose minds are set on earthly things, he says, stand firm so that this might not be said of you. So that he might not be grieved of you. grieved that you are going back to your old ways. This is the basis for his instruction, church, to stand firm as he addresses this issue within the Philippian church between these two women. And so then he moves to address that very topic, church. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Paul says, I entreat both of you who have been called to this way to find unity in it as sisters in Christ. This word, entreat, church, is a a call or a request to come to me and listen, much like when a parent sees their two kids fighting and says, come here. He calls them to come before him that they might reconcile, church, and Paul exhorts them to uh, agree in the Lord. He encourages them, church, to have a a unity in, in Christ that is much like Bonhoeffer explained. Paul is not just saying, agree, church, but he is saying, agree because Christ has joined you together. Agree because it's him who you are indebted to, and it's him that you are called to live for. Agree because of what he has done for you, church, in spite of what you have done to him. Have this same mind as him who, through great humility, church, came to serve you. A mind of one who is mature, as Paul said in chapter 3. Paul doesn't even address the details of what is going on. We don't know what the issue is. He doesn't go into details about if this person is right or this person is wrong. He doesn't take sides or rebuke church, but he makes a a heartfelt appeal to them. And he says, agree, live church in this way have the same mind as christ as he came to us with all humility because if you do you will realize that whatever has come between you two is not as important as what has brought you together you would be ready to forgive each other, looking to maintain the unity that Christ has called you to. Showing great kindness to each other and loving each other. And church, notice this. He doesn't just leave it to the two of them alone. He doesn't just go to the two, the two women and say, y'all figure this out. But he calls for those in the church to come alongside them and to help them to live this out. He says in verse three, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This term, true companion, means yoke fellow. And it is referring to one who has been yoked to another, who Paul is referring to specifically, church, is not clear because he doesn't name who this person is, who he is talking about, and though many have speculated and suggested who they think it is, no one truly knows. But I personally, church, think that Paul is not referring to one person, but to the church as a whole especially to the leaders of the church whom he addressed at the beginning of the letter, those who have been yoked together with him and these two sisters, those who he has been speaking of in this affectionate way throughout the letter. But regardless, church, if he's talking about one or the whole church, Paul is encouraging the church to come alongside them and to help them as the church. We have the responsibility to remind them of the way that they have been called to. And this is the same responsibility that we have for each other, church. Paul says, remind them of the times when I was with you, how we worked together. And labored side by side, working together to share and spread this good news to those who don't have it. Remind them of the unity that we shared in when when it was all about Christ and everything was fresh and brand new. Help them to see that there is a bigger goal and task that we are serving as the church, as those whose names have been written in the book of life. This is the same thing church that he told them in chapter 2 verses 12 through 16 when he said therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only as in my presence but much much more in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling it is it is for God for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor. Paul says, remind them of this mission. Remind them that they are here not to to fight to get their own way, disputing and grumbling, but we're here to shine like lights in a broken world, that we might help the world to see the glory of Christ. He says, help them see this as more important than them getting their own way, that they might find their joy and satisfaction not in self-glorification or self-gratification, but in standing firm in the humility of Christ. Paul's exhortation, church, for these two women and the Philippian church is a well-needed exhortation for the church today, as time and time again The sound of clanging gongs rings out as we throw commands at each other without following the command to love each other, fighting to make a point that falls silent as the point is not carried out with the heart of Christ, but more so, church, with the heart of one looking to serve themselves and their pride. It's this way that Paul has been calling for us to fight against as the church. This is why he gives this example of himself in chapter 1 when he explains how his misfortune has served to advance the gospel. He explained how even though he has been wrongly thrown in prison, standing firm in the way of Christ has allowed him to continue serving Christ uh, as, as it has produced some fruit in others who are in prison with them. As his steadfastness has given them hope and strength to continue in this way. And he says, though, church, that, that my, my situation has helped some, there are others who oppose me, those who preach Christ out of envy for me, those looking to afflict me and dispute with me. But he says, regardless of their stance against me, that's not what concerns me, church. He says, what is most important to me is that Christ is being proclaimed. Therefore, he says, I rejoice. I don't care what they think of me. I don't care to dispute with them. If they're proclaiming Christ, oh, praise God. Because that is what is most important. Paul gives this example specifically to these two women, but also to the church as an example of what it truly looks like to stand firm in his way. What it looks like to have a mindset of humility. And he is saying, if you, are bo- if you both agree to live in this way, there will be no reason for disputing between both of you because both of you will be rejoicing as both of you will be pressing towards the goal, striving to see Christ proclaimed and glorified. Therefore, Paul says, stand firm as they find not only a unity centered on Christ, but a joy that is centered on him as well. And so Paul's second exhortation simply is to rejoice in the Lord. He says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known by everyone. The Lord is at hand. Paul is calling them and us to remember our purpose in living to bring Christ's glory. That we might find our great satisfaction in serving him. Displaying the humility and gentleness that he has displayed to us. This is what he means by reasonableness. It is a, a humility and a gentleness. He says, "He says, uh, 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 find your joy in God, that you might display the way of God, as He gave Himself for us, counting Himself as more significant, uh, uh, counting us as more significant than Himself." Paul says rejoice, church, in all that he has done to you so that in serving him you might do the same for others, regardless of what someone has done to you or thinks about you. Paul is saying to these two sisters in Christ, if we can't get this right between our, our, our gospel community, if we can't get this right uh, between the church, then how will we live in this way before those who truly oppose us? Christ bids us, church, to take up our cross and follow him. And he used his last breath on that cross not to dispute and argue with those who opposed him, but to ask his father to forgive them, to forgive those who caused him great affliction and suffering. And he calls for us to do the same, church, so that through our display of humility, others might come to know him and be saved. We must be willing to nail our agendas to the cross, dying to ourselves daily, that we might shine his gospel light to the world, that we might serve a greater purpose and mission, believing that there is something greater to serve than ourselves, believing that the surpassing worth and joy that comes from knowing Christ It's worth giving up and counting everything else as loss because it's only when we have that mindset, church, and conviction that we can truly live out this life as kingdom citizens, as ambassadors of God's holy reign. A nation that has the promises of God, promises that serve as their greatest source of joy, promises that give us strength and satisfaction to endure regardless of situation or circumstance. Knowing that regardless of what we go through here on earth, we have that great picture and promise that we will be part of a great multitude in eternity, singing all praises as we glorify God together with one heart, mind, and spirit as brothers and sisters in Christ, side by side. Therefore, Paul says, stand firm and rejoice, and let serving Christ be your main concern and focus. Because, church, we have flesh And an enemy that desires for us more than anything to serve ourselves. And he is scheming and plotting to do all that he can to carry that out. Therefore, Paul says in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul, in this next exhortation, is encouraging us to trust in the Lord, to seek and pursue him so that the enemy would not entice us through our flesh, he is encouraging these two women, the Philippian church and us, to remember that God is our great source and provider, that he is our protector and our help, that we can trust in, in him in our fight against the flesh and the devil as he works through his means of grace to remind us, church, of his goodness, guarding us from reverting back to our old ways, ways that made us enemies of the cross as we were overly concerned about ourselves and our own glory. Paul says, do not be anxious. And what he is saying here is, do not be overly concerned about yourself and your care but trust in the promise that the lord has given you to to be uh all that he says that he will be for you he is saying that we must learn through prayer and supplication to take your mind and your concern off of yourself and your own needs and place them on him church Paul, in this exhortation to not be anxious, uh, is, is, is fighting against having a mindset of selfish ambition, and Paul is encouraging, encouraging the church to combat that mindset of selfish ambition with spiritual warfare, fighting against the pull to fall back into a way of self-centeredness. A fight that takes place, church, in our minds. And he is telling us to not let our minds be overtaken by this way. By reverting back to our old ways of being overly focused on ourselves, Paul is saying that in order for us to stand firm in this this other-centered way of humility, we must combat our natural inclination and old ways of serving ourselves by guarding our hearts and our minds through spiritual warfare and prayer. And if you don't see that, don't worry, I'm going to show you. If we look at 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11, it tells us, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How do we do this, church? Casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Why, church? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brother throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is also, just in case you don't see it there, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5. As it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not Waging war according to the flesh. But the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What does it destroy, church? Arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul's exhortation here. It's a call to be vigilant in engaging this war within your mind. A call to combat the schemes of the enemy by seeking the Lord, combating the enemy who through selfish ambition and pride looks to divide us. Paul is saying that we, might, we must be those who, who take those fleshly concerns captive and, and cast those concerns at the feet of Christ trusting that he will guard us. We must resist every attempt of the enemy who lies to get us to distrust Christ and his truth, to distrust God and his character, to to distrust the church and what it has been called to do. He wants to do everything to pull you and your mind away from trusting that and to trust yourself. And Paul is saying we combat that by going to God through prayer and supplication so that God would remind us as we are seeking him in prayer of all of his great and precious promises so that he would remind us that we have everything we need to live out this godly life. So that he will give us peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. Paul is saying, This is how we must fight, church, to stand firm in this way. This is how we fight to stand firm in the faith. We don't fight with our flesh, but we fight in the spirit. Therefore, Paul is saying, Be vigilant so that by prayer and supplication we might grow to trust in God in all circumstances. This is why we're told, church, in Ephesians 6, that in all circumstances we are to put on the whole armor of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, so that we might withstand the schemes of the enemy and persevere to the end. And he says, do this, church. Not only for yourselves, but he says, do this for all the saints. We are called to fight for our brothers and sisters so that we might all together as this new kingdom community experience the peace of God. So that we would help each other to walk in his ways and stand firm in him. Trusting in him to keep us from falling as we cover our minds with his word. Therefore, Paul says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is encouraging us, church, to guard our minds by also meditating and delighting on the character and works of God. Much like the psalmist in Psalm 111. He says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Full of splendor and majesty is his works, and his righteousness endures forever." He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and and merciful. He provides, church. He provides food for those who fear them. He remembers his covenant promise forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. And I don't have time to read it, but if you just move to the next psalm, In Psalm 112, he explains how the righteous man who delights in the commands of God and walks in his ways will have provision. It says he will have a heart that is firm and trusting in the Lord. And this is what Paul is showing us. Paul is encouraging us to fight the good fight of faith church by constantly seeking the Lord through prayer and the word. That we might be steadfast and immovable, persevering to the end. That we might fight against the schemes of the devil not being overtaken by them. So that we might together have the same mind of the Lord walking together in his ways, regardless of situation and circumstance. Therefore, Paul says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, let all of these things along with my life that has been an example before you, and be an assurance of God's promise to you. He says, look at my life, see all that I have been through, and know that God has kept me through it all. Know that you can trust the Lord, because just as he has provided for me, he will provide for you. Therefore, Paul says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret that he is sharing with you now. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. a fragrant offering, a sacrifice accepting and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul ends this great letter by giving one last example in himself. As he recalls how God has used them to provide for him, Paul uses this example to exhort them to continue in this way of trusting in the Lord. He reminds them of how they have already walked in this way of humility and other-centeredness by displaying a great concern for him. And he is saying, look at what the Lord has done for us both as we both trusted him and walked in his ways. He has kept me by providing for me through you, and as he used my my lack as an opportunity He produced in you fruitfulness. He says, when there was no one else to provide for me, God, use your humility to take care of my needs. Paul says, your concern for me has has caused me to rejoice greatly. Not because of what you provided for me. He says, I was not concerned about that. He says, what brings me joy is the fruit that God has provided for you. Mm. Y'all not with me. Fruit that not only has, has, has provided for you, but has provided for me and is a pleasing aroma to God. Paul is saying, church, stand firm, rejoice, agree, Trust in him and then let us look at how God uses his kingdom community to provide for each other and to grow us and mature us to be, be more like him. He uses us to keep us that we might be mature and be made as his sons and daughters as a means for making us perfect like his son. Paul says, I, I, I appreciate the gift. Please hear me, I appreciate the gift, but the true gift is seeing you mature in Christ by producing humility, even when you didn't have it to give. The true gift is seeing you display this way of Christ Oh, I'm thankful for those things that you provided. They was never my concern. Look, I have learned that in, in whether I'm, I'm lacking, whether I have much, whether I have this or don't have that, I'm not concerned. I trust him. I know he will keep his promises. Therefore, I was never concerned about that. My only concern Is that when we go to be the Lord, you will be there with me because you have continued to walk out this way of Christ. My only concern is that we'll be in glory together walking in this way. Church, this is my concern. Let us stand firm in this way with the same mind, finding joy in the Lord as we fight together. Let us through prayer and supplication learn to trust in the way of the Lord so that regardless of circumstance and situation, we would have the peace of God. Knowing that our great sovereign king will keep us, knowing that he will take care of us, in every way, as sons and daughters of him. Let us all be those who are striving this way with everything in us. And then when that time is over, let us be reminded that when we go to be with him, it will be gain. Because we'll be in it with him in glory forever and ever, rejoicing and giving praises to His holy name to our great God and King. Amen, church. Let us pray. Father,